0: Welcome to episode 105 of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is. And uh, we got a lot of news, a lot of stuff. Um, everybody's been waiting the last couple of weeks. If you've noticed, a lot of podcasts are just kind of, you know, tailed off because they were waiting for this ATF thing that's going on. And we'll talk about that. The podcast is uh, basically three parts. Uh, first being second Amendment type news, things that are in the uh, mainstream media. The second is uh, oh usually commentary on gun culture content creator stuff that's out there. Um, you know and there's not a whole lot of that this time, but uh, we've got a few things. And then my favorite part which is questions and answers and I glean these questions from you, the listener and also, uh, you know, people a lot of times, because you know, it, you get the reputation as the the gun enthusiast or the gun hobbyist, I get asked a lot of questions, so a lot of times I'll bring those questions in also because I think they're interesting and uh, have some merit. So, anyway, uh, we'll just start getting underway. Okay, our first order of business is <laughs> California Assault Weapons Ban. You know, this is one of the reasons I left California years ago, um, was basically the kind of rifles I like, and the kind of rifles that I shoot in competition, and I was doing more, even more of that back then. Um, those things were basically, it was decided that those things would have to be extinct, that uh, you couldn't have uh, AR rifles, you couldn't really have M1As unless you did things to them, that that made them uh, look look strange and perform strange. Um, you couldn't have, of course. You know I mean, the, if if you really wanted to shoot service rifle, you you stopped at the M1 Garand. That was it. You know, the M1 Garand was as far as you were gonna go because you couldn't have anything later. Um, legally, you could have an M1A if you put in the ten round magazine, if you also took the flash hider off and put on like one of a muzzle brake type thing which really caused accuracy problems so i mean they they were wrecking it you know there was no there was no easy way that you were going to get an m1a that was competitive um with anything outside the state so there you go so they killed off service rifle competition which was something i did and that that and the oppressive gun laws about handguns and everything else um caused me to leave the state i mean sorry you know Um, you know just step out of the sewer and walk away however uh, Judge Benitez I think his name is Roger Benitez he's the guy who struck down the magazine (laughs) ban uh, I guess what was that about a year ago over a year ago and then people in California for like 10 days were allowed to buy high cap magazines and then they put a stay on the ruling and I don't know whatever happened to that eventually I think it's probably still pending in the courts but effectively the same thing has happened with the assault weapons ban. He he's basically struck it down and unfortunately there's a stay on his his order so you can't go out and buy one now. You know, you even though this is down it's he still can't do it. So it'll get appealed and it, you know, but it's got a good chance that his his ruling will stand and California may get some freedom back. It'll be amazing to me and maybe it'll spark something but I have a funny feeling it, it doesn't, in the long term, it doesn't really matter because demographically the country is changing. Um, conservative people are moving to red states and liberal people are staying in blue states. So we're, we're going to have, instead of the blue and the gray, it's going to be the red and the blue and that's going to be a problem. Maybe not in our lifetimes, but maybe down the road. You know, you look 30 years down the road, that could be a real big problem. You know, there are states, uh, and take Missouri as an example. Um, Missouri was known as a bellwether state in presidential elections up until 2008. which, And what that meant was they always voted with the winner, you know. Um, so it was Nixon, then then Carter, then Reagan, then Bush, then Clinton, Clinton, W. Bush, W. Bush, Obama, Obama. Uh, well, I, actually, the first Obama election, the first Obama election was the one where they went for McCain. So that that's actually the where they lost the bellwether status. So it, it was a state that could go Republican or Democrat. Now it's solidly Republican. I mean, supermajority in the uh, uh, state assembly in the state Senate and Republican governor. So there you go. And the only reason that Kansas, the neighboring state, has a Democratic governor is just that was just a political m- miscalculation on the Republicans part. They nominated the wrong guy to run. And um, so this old lady Democrat, who's really a kind of a Democrat in name only kind of one. So you know, but we have these states that used to be bellwether or states that could kind of go either way, and now they're solidly one way. And California, they they haven't voted Republican in a long, long, long time. I think probably Reagan was the last person to win uh, Republican presidential candidate to win California. New York, I, I bet it goes even, it probably goes back to Eisenhower if, if even then, you know. So um, the blue states are getting bluer, red states are getting redder. That's just the way that is. And uh, so I don't know if striking down these bands is really going to have much of an impact. You would love to see a freedom movement in what I call occupied America, which are these blue states. They live under an occupation government that decides for you what the good thing is and what the bad thing is. And, uh, you know, it's absolutely amazing that... Uh, um, That's where our country is headed towards this. This polarization continues. And, you know, the good part about this ban is, um, you know, striking down the ban is, you know, other states can now reference that as as something that would prevent this type of thing from happening somewhere else or if your state has a ban it's it can be used as a foundation to fight that so we'll see how that goes but you know it is good news it's nice to win one in the courts now and then because normally the courts side with the liberals they just normally do so it's nice to win a few okay ATF and pistol braces Um, I said on this podcast numerous times they were gonna come after those and ghost guns and that's where the battle is now I'm against any kind of infringement so I don't I think people should have pistol braces I don't think their pistol braces are a problem they're not a problem in other countries that are actually much more restrictive than here so I don't know somehow we've gotten it into our mind that a short-barreled rifle is a bad thing and a short-barreled rifle is simply what it says it's a short-barreled rifle therefore it is not nearly uh, as effective as a longer-barreled rifle for a variety of reasons but they look cool and of course that's the liberal thing can't have something that looks cool so that's that's kind of where we are Um, it it will be very interesting to see if you actually read the, the drivel and garbage that the morons at the atf put out it's it's going to be completely unenforceable i mean it's just going to be unenforceable um they've got all kinds of things of of you know the hand stops are now bad the braces of course are bad insulated forearms on these pistols are now bad (laughs) so so you know they've, they've made it they've made it a mess and it's going to be unenforceable and then there are states and put you know your favorite red state here where they just may do the uh, what I call the uh, legalized marijuana thing which is they could just say hey it's legal here yeah pistol braces are legal here and then what's the ATF really gonna do and the answer is they're not gonna do anything because they're, they're not gonna to go to gun ranges and enforce this and neither are local cops so what you're going to see is these are going to be add-on charges they break um, a case and arrest a drug dealer and if he's got one of these things on him it's going to be the additional charges that's that's what this is going to break down to Um, I don't see I don't see them you know going house to house looking for pistol (laughs) braces They've they've created an unenforceable deal. And I don't even think it'll stand up in court because these things, there are lots of them around. Um, They've been around and been legal for a long time. So reversing themselves and now saying it's an NFA item is is ridiculous. And so it may take a while and it may even take years, but this will get get trashed in the courts one way or another. Uh, It's just not going to last. It just doesn't make any sense. It would have been... 20 times smarter and of course whenever you say well the smart thing to do that's not what the ATF is gonna do they're not gonna do the smart thing the smart thing was basically register them like you know any other weapon you know basically you pay 10 bucks you get a certificate you're all good or a stamp or whatever you're all good and it's fine and make that legal in all 50 states and there you go then it's it's legal. It's going to be a real problem when something that was legal in a state that does not allow Class 3, does not allow SBRs, um, and you know, you can put whatever state that is. Most people who live there know. I don't really know that list of states offhand. But uh, if you live in a state that does not allow short-barreled rifle or Class 3 weapons, but you had one of these and it's legal, now all of a sudden it's not legal because your state doesn't allow class three weapons so you can't nfa this thing so you know that's going to be another problem which of course they haven't thought about or, or uh, done anything to to uh address so we'll see you know i'm sure they're um i'm sure that their answer to that would be well you just can't have it well i'm sorry there are certain things that you can and can't do and it'll be interesting to see if the court considers this what I consider it. It's an ex post facto law, which is prohibited by the Constitution of the United States. So we'll see how that how that goes. So that's like the big firearms news. That's the big stuff. You know, it's uh, um, very, very interesting. Oh, one thing, there was a, a couple weeks ago, there was a plane incident where a guy tried to he was a he was an off-duty flight attendant i think and he tried to open the door in flight and i guess was going to jump out or jump into the engine or something and and actually the the captain had to call all able-bodied men come forward and (laughs) restrain this guy um you know i've never really heard about that happening on a you know domestic u.s flight i mean um Never really heard of that. Now I I could imagine it happens in in less developed places. I mean I can imagine that maybe that happens. I don't know. But a U.S. domestic flight that is really something that that has happened, and and apparently they did that. A bunch of guys got up, went forward, grabbed this dude and. Threw him to the ground. Now, since he's a male flight attendant, he probably probably isn't much of a match for anybody. So, it probably wasn't wasn't all that difficult to uh, throw him on the ground and then sit on him for the rest of the flight. But uh, it's amazing, you know. Our, we have a behavioral problem in the country that, you know, it's starting to come out now. And, you know, one of the things where where does trouble really emanate from well right now it's kind of on the airlines you just had somebody punch out it was I was a woman punched out a female flight attendant something about kids and masks and the female flight attendant kind of grabbed her and she said don't touch me and when the flight attendant who who think they can act like the gestapo sometimes on these plane flights um, didn't do it she got punched in the face. And, you know, and of course, the answer to that was airlines are now scaling back their alcohol service. I'm like, well, how do you know that alcohol was even involved? I mean, if somebody's grabbing you and you tell them to stop and they don't stop, um, I think you can pretty much predict that the reaction will be that somebody's going to get punched. So, And we live in a society where people don't punch each other anymore. You know, kids used to punch each other in the schoolyards and all that. We've done away with that for a couple decades now, probably three decades. So people aren't used to, you know, hey, this guy's going to just punch me in the face. Let's, oh, and the uh, (laughs) related story. (laughs) I don't really care for the mainstream press. And I think I make that pretty clear. I thought it was very amusing when the mainstream, mainstream press one thing you got to understand about them is they're not nice people and in fact um i would say we would call most of them turds if you actually meet them and talk to them they're very egotistical they think that they can do anything they don't have to follow rules so the putin biden summit apparently they thought that and thought they were just going to shove their way into this room where the summit was and uh Putin's security, which I'm sure is made up of ex-KGB goons, (laughs) basically decided they weren't going to do that and prevented them from being inside the room, including to the point where they helped a few to the ground and roughed up a few and shoved them out. And of course... The the press, you know, like CNN and the rest of these, were screaming, "Don't touch me!" and you know, "How dare you touch me?" and all this. Well, that really doesn't cut a lot with your average uh, your average dude who who's grown up uh, um, working for the KGB or whatever its successor is. I'm sure that's it's not called that anymore. It's a successor organization. Um, you know, they' not really they' not they don't really care about your feelings. And so they basically are gonna deal with the problem. And if they're told to move people out of the way, they're they're going to move people out of the way. and the best thing to do is not be one of those people that they're moving out of the way. So I thought that was pretty funny. I would have actually paid money to watch that. Um, I think that would have been uh, that would have been pretty humorous to watch the the woke, wimpy, sissies you know screaming don't touch me you're in my space and all this other kind of stuff while you know the goons basically said we're going to create some we're going to move you out and create some space here so and went ahead and did it so that's about the news that's fit to print Um, very very interesting stuff Um, I think that uh, you know we are living in interesting times and If you're like me, I can't wait to see what the outcome of 2022 is. I think there are a lot of people who are tired of, just tired of what they're seeing. And we've only had Biden for six months. Six months of this is enough. But because we allowed an election to be stolen and we allowed all this nonsense to go on, um, you know, we get to put up with another year and a half of this until we have a chance a chance only to uh, send them a strong message which is and you send that message by voting out every Democrat there is I don't care if it's running for dog catcher you run you you have to get the Democrats out they're just they just cannot be trusted with anything and, and you see it look at Kamala Harris the giggler this giggling fool and then she goes down to Central America and says, well, we know he said everybody's welcome and all the rest of this, but don't come here. Don't come here. You know, she's a fool. She is a complete... I mean, I literally think that if you gave Kamala Harris an IQ test, my viewpoint would be she probably has got maybe an 85, 90 IQ. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, she is... She has, If brains were dynamite... Harris couldn't blow her nose. That's what it is. So, uh, there we are. We got, we've got an idiot and a, and a crazy old man in charge. That's, that's awesome. Well, let's get to some more interesting stuff, which is questions and answers. These questions come to me, and you can submit a question to me by emailing it to me at kbmakel at aol.com. K B M A K E L at aol.com, or you can leave them in the comments section on Podbean, and I read those comments. Not too many come in there, but so you can get it in there. It's it's probably better way to get your question is to do that than emailing it because sometimes I can I get so many emails I'm like everybody else. Is it just is it just me or has goofball Scam phone calls and spam emails just basically been overwhelming these last probably four months. Um, I probably get three or four of these calls a day, you know, wanting to sell me an auto warranty, and that's the latest scam. Um, and that's that's it. And they use local numbers too. They they call all these local numbers are calling. So there was actually a case where one person answered the phone and it was their own number calling them so they can get a hold of your number and call all kinds of people because this lady got a call from her own number and it was a scam call how that happens that's that's amazing so anyway you can submit questions to me the rest of these I gleaned from a variety of places um, when people ask me questions or send me questions and the first one is with all the buzz around 50 caliber rifles, what are they really used for? Okay, uh, the military started buying 50 caliber rifles, not to be long-range sniper rifles and and you know the whistling death you know and all the rest of this. No, they um, they started buying them because they knew that in kind of a large-scale confrontation, that when airfields were bombed. There would be a certain amount of of duds, you know, things that just did not explode, and those are called UXOs, unexploded ordnance. And uh, in order to quickly get rid of those things, they would shoot them with a fifty caliber and either detonate them or blow them apart so they weren't a threat anymore. And uh, then they could put the bulldozer out there and bulldoze in the crater and then planes could take off again and land again. Um, you obviously don't want to do that with UXOs out there because you're rolling over on top of it and and it might blow up and then throw the bulldozer up into the air and and create all kinds of problems so it was a way to get rid of that Uh, it also became an anti-material rifle as the military has a lot of frail stuff you know especially radars and and certain installations you know electronic warfare type stuff Um, essentially you you shoot some of those things especially like a radar you shoot it a few times with a 50 caliber and you've knocked it out so it was um, you know kind of adapted that uh, hey maybe a special operations team on a direct action mission could go in and shoot the radar you know a few times the 50 cal knock it out and that key radar would be would be gone you know at least for a significant period of time that would it would be non-mission capable so it was looked upon it was used for you know adapted for that and then it was adapted for personnel sniping, especially when you're talking about Afghanistan where you have these extreme long ranges, you know mountain top to mountain top and and everything and it, it's very effective for those those types of things. It's been largely although the military I'm sure still has them, I think they've been largely replaced, at least in the sniping role by you know cartridges that have just been you know engineered for long range accuracy like 338 lapua comes to mind i think they've been um they basically been uh, dancing with that one for a while so um it's a very very good a very very good weapon a very very good capability my favorite 50 caliber was always the m2 um good machine gun heavy machine gun could deal with a wide variety of threats everything from low flying aircraft to you know, any kind of a vehicle less than a tank, you know, so it's always been a very, very good and very, very useful uh, weapon, and that's that's really what they're, they're used for in the military. Civilian shooters like them because they have long range, because they're large calibers, and large calibers can be fun sometimes, and if, especially if you're out in the West where you have places where you can shoot well over a thousand meters um you know that's 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 a whole sport in and of itself again extreme extended long-range shooters not extreme long-range but extended long-range shooters have gone to these more engineered cartridges 338 lapua and the Tech cartridges and i think barrett has got a couple of card you know there's a whole there's a whole list of what is actually preferable to use now but 50 calibers can still be fun. They can still be useful, and uh, that's and they obviously can sell as many of them as they can make. And I think, and I'm going out on a limb here, but I think that if you're just talking about fun ammunition, you can still get 50 caliber ball for about maybe three to five dollars a round, which sounds obscene. it sounds obscene you know but in these days that's not that bad you know you're talking really a dollar around for a lot of a lot of cartridges i mean it's you're talking over a dollar around for just some simple rifle cartridges in, in many cases so you know it's compared to that it's really not that bad but i would be but i have no use for them because really at the the ranges that are available to me uh, 50 caliber the, the capability of it is really wasted it's also it's also pretty hard on targets as you can imagine so you know it's it's really found it's it's home out in the west I think where you know you can shoot an old car body that's a uh, thousand meters away and and uh, you know knock the knock the stuffing out of that So that's really what they're what they're used for um, long range, I would say probably informal for the most part type target shooting okay do you have any tips for building a precision rifle um, the best tip I can give you is go to one of the high-end manufacturers select the rifle you want and either buy it or <laughs> save the money until you can buy it if I'm building one and again um, I'm a person who's ruled by budgets I don't have an unlimited budget for anything so everything is on a budget Um, I would start with a savage rifle in whatever caliber you want it in With 6mm Creedmoor or 6.5 Creedmoor are great things if you if you really want to do extended long range shooting they do make a single shot that um, goes out for about a thousand bucks you know that's it's a lot of money but in that world its its not very much money I would start with a savage rifle I would get the best scope you can afford and uh, you know Athlon scopes and there are other ones now I think uh, uh, Vortex has got some some ones out there um, that are that are basically they punch above their weight I mean they may cost three to five hundred bucks but you're getting a scope that would have normally cost, say, seven or eight hundred dollars. It's a lot of savings there, so you can get a, a decent functioning scope. Is it going to be as clear? No. Is it going to have quite the field of view? No. But it's going to be entirely usable. And in fact, clarity really isn't for precision guys, will tell you that clarity isn't as important as field of view. Um, and having the subtension, the Christmas tree reticle that they can use. Those are more important than, than clarity because once they pick up the target, they pick up the target. They don't have to see it in absolute clarity. So, you know, that's that's something to throw out there too. It's nice to have, but not essential. The, the one tip I have is, and, and again, a savage does not have the smooth action that you're used to. It does, or the, maybe not used to but the precision guys really like it and all that so it's all a compromise but the part i like about it is that uh, you can get into it on a reasonable budget the one place where i never scrimp and it's easy place to scrimp is mount and rings um I use badger Ordnance. i realize there are other manufacturers who produce that high-end stuff too but that is the best thing to use on your rifle um that will keep the scope it, it, i've just i've gone through the cheap bases i've gone through the cheap rings and they just don't work as well the good stuff is really the good stuff and uh you know, it does exactly what it's supposed to do. It holds the scope. It it uh, helps the scope, in my opinion, maintain a zero because it's so solid. Um, it transfers. You know, the scope doesn't get scope doesn't get jolted like if there's any kind of even microscopic looseness or play. I, I found that just steel steel mounts and steel rings are the best things in the world um every problem I've had with a scope mount has been because it's it or the rings are aluminum aluminum is just not good material and I realize people want it because of the lightweight because they're gonna help, they're gonna hunt you know doll sheep and and be climbing up and down the Eiger or whatever but that's not that's not really what most of us use a rifle for so I would say I don't don't buy into the argument that it's lighter, it's just cheaper for them to make, and they're just hoping it's good enough. I've never had a satisfactory aluminum mount or aluminum ring. So uh, go with the uh, high-end steel stuff on that. That's that's probably my biggest tip. Build on a Savage Rifle, you can get a 6.5 Creedmoor, and I, I they change their model numbers around, but I would get, make sure that you get with the Savage Rifle, an trigger uh... some people like the acu stock some people don't the one i bought did not come with an AccuStock, stock so i put a bell and carlson medalist stock on it um, again not an expensive piece of equipment but a quality piece of equipment that did exactly what it's supposed to do exactly very very happy with it so i got that and then uh... Um, i got an Athlon scope and I used badger ordinance rings. That's worked for me. You know, so I hope that if you're on a budget that that would work for you also. Okay. Here's a question that's related to something we already talked about. Should I get a pistol brace now? And uh, I would say that while they're still legal, they're, you can buy them and, and even, even if all this stuff with the ATF goes through, it'll be just like any other part saying all NFA rules apply. So... I'll be honest with you I don't want and I've never wanted the AR or AK or HK91 based pistol that fires a rifle cartridge never wanted it simply because I don't really want a 7 to 10 inch barrel 556 really don't Um, I like the full-length rifles a lot better I find them much more useful, much more accurate, much more pleasant to fire. They're just a better deal all the way around, so I have no use for those. I don't think braces should be illegal, but I just don't have use for AR pistols. Uh, the, the ones that are in 9mm, hey, great, you know, awesome. 9mm is 9mm. I mean, it doesn't excite me very much. So, a carbine that shoots 9mm is not really going to be all that all that high-speed especially if it's got all this other stuff I I, if I wanted one and I actually do have one I have a Ruger uh, PC9 the old model not the new high-speed one but the old model um, which I actually prefer because it looks a lot more like an M1 carbine It looks like a cross between an M1 carbine and a 1022 so I really like it if it had a wooden stock I'd like it a lot better but it's you know it's okay what it is but it's a nine millimeter carbine and that's that is what it is you know so um and it's you know that's one that's legal just about everywhere i think it's got a detachable magazine but it's got a conventional stock like an m1 carbine doesn't have any kind of muzzle device on it Uh, so you know that's a pretty good that's a pretty good gun so um yeah with with options like that I don't really want to go towards the other things so if you want it get it but I don't really see a whole lot in it to be honest with you okay another question and this is a really good one Uh, are there any reasonably priced military collectibles available today and uh, well I can tell you that almost all US military stuff has just gone through the roof I mean it's expensive but one of the things you can still collect and don't don't buy them from eBay because you'll spend about five times what they're worth but uh, ammo cans a lot of people are now collecting USGI ammo cans believe it or not Uh, especially from the World War II era where there are a lot of variables Um, there's aircraft ones there's um ones that were used for the cradles for the the 30 caliber machine gun all kinds of things like that so um you can you can pre-war is even more interesting but you'll probably pay more than that but you can you can actually um you can find these things in junk shops or or flea markets and other things like that and pay 10 or 12 dollars a piece for them and uh amass a nice collection and there's enough information on the internet you can kind of figure out what these things are so you know that's that's not that's not bad that's a military collectible you can get into uh there's still some eastern block you know warsaw pact military collectibles out there i noticed some of the sites have you know romanian helmets and yugoslavian helmets and you can still get russian style helmets um you know there's there's a lot of these helmets that that are still kind of out there and they made they made lots of them and they're really not considered ordinance or anything so they just kind of turn up in the surplus clothing type deal but you could put together a nice uh, for say 200 to 300 dollars you could probably put together 8 to 10 nice examples of these things so um, you know that's that's kind of a deal You still get the US m one steel pot probably under 50 bucks so that's that's it um, Military optics are a little more expensive, but they're not nearly as expensive as firearms or even bayonets anymore. So you know you can always collect uh, some military optics, and you can go back to World War One. Um, you know you can get a really nice set of World War One binos for you know a C-note, a hundred bucks, a hundo in uh, some of these stores, and you know it's pretty good deal. Um, you can you can amass a collection of stuff. Some of that stuff is unit marked and, you know, it's really interesting. So uh, those are, those are the ones that I can think of. Excuse me for clearing my throat. I just, just, uh, I guess the allergy season is upon us again. Um, Another thing that uh, you can collect are the kind of the Warsaw Pact or even the NATO uh, protective masks. Um, A lot of those things are out there. Sub. 50 bucks some of them are ridiculously cheap 20 to you know anywhere from about 10 dollars up to about 50 dollars. you have a wide variety of stuff and again you have to kind of look um you know if you look around on the the various surplus sites you'll see them coming up here and there and um, even if you go to places like junk shops flea markets antique stores you can see like the there are some of the world war ii u.s ones you know the civilian ones and uh, they actually made civilian gas masks so you know and a lot of that stuff was just surplus never used in surplus so it's still in pretty good shape so you can get a lot of those those are military collectibles that immediately come to mind which are still out there and you can still get for a reasonable price because a lot of other stuff is just sky high you know a lot of stuff is just sky high so that's that's what I would get now a related question is, are World War II collectibles going to go out of style? That's interesting because there is a generational there is a generational interest in collecting no matter what you collect, no matter what it is. And it's the people like to collect things that they saw as kids like take toys, okay Toys from the 1960s, are very hot and very very expensive simply because people who are now older and have disposable income say I had one of those as a kid and I just like to have it again for nostalgia or I never had one of those as a kid and I can afford it now and I'm gonna have it you know stuff there there's that kind of emotional attachment to it and then there are always going to be hardcore collectors and when the people with the emotional attachment kind of drift away um you know they either get older on fixed incomes or you know just like with the World War One generation they're just all gone um you know this stuff really just falls into the realm of collectors so I think that World War II stuff really exploded after Saving Private Ryan came out you know 20 some years ago and uh you know, before that, you could buy a GI-45, you know, 1911A1 from World War II. If, you know, you, you those were, all of a sudden, those basically doubled or tripled overnight. So, and they've stayed up there ever since. So, I would, um, I would say it's going to be hard to predict if demand will really slack or not. You know, a lot of the World War II stuff is bought. Um, by people who had their father's uncles maybe grandfathers but usually that father connection was to the war you know dad was in the Navy during the war therefore I want this Navy helmet you know and I want this um, Navy pistol belt with a 1911 a1 like the one he carried on the bridge of you know the USS Whoopass, you know so there you go um, beyond that when that kind of memory recedes and kinda of goes away I don't know there was a lot of stuff made in World War II but there's always a lot of collectors so my my deal is that the prices may be like World War One stuff it'll just kinda of stabilize and it really won't gain a whole lot because the demand will never exponentially rise again but like Civil War stuff too you know there's there was a lot of Civil War stuff out but hey it's kinda of hard to it's hard to find and it's expensive when you do so we'll see we'll see how that uh, shakes out but I would say that the uh, the big spike in price that happened after Saving Private Ryan is either going to stabilize or may slightly decrease okay here's a related question (laughs) will ammo prices go lower well I'm seeing a lot more availability now at least online and sometimes in the stores so I'm I'm just willing to say that I think ammo has come down some but I don't think uh, we're going to see a off the cliff drop right away I would say that that's only going to happen the prices will fall a little more dramatically after primers become available because all the hand loaders will go back to hand loading so that will that will lessen the demand for manufactured ammunition and uh so i i would say that um you know now you can well i don't want to quote prices because they always change but the prices seem to have come down about 10 or 15 percent on what i've seen for nine millimeter and 556 and those are kind of the the measures you know that's that's kind of it because frankly if you buy a thousand round case of 45 cold it has always been expensive and it will continue to be expensive because they don't produce that in the kind of quantities they do uh, 5.56 five, and and 9 mil. So uh, that's the that's what I would I would say there. Prices are coming down, and as more stuff is imported, the price is going to come down. I think the first real price decrease you will see will be in imported steel cased ammunition coming from the former Warsaw Pact countries whether it be Russia or Poland or or wherever else any place that can crank that out uh, that will come in cheaper and the 76239 by 39 will lead the way and uh, there you go that's 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 where you'll start to see when you start seeing those prices come down the other stuff will follow eventually and right now they're coming down a little bit but I mean still you know $25 a box for Tull ammo 9 mm that's that's a that's a hard pill to swallow i i don't know that i could buy any of at that price unless i absolutely had to and there are a lot of people who do absolutely have to okay another interesting question have you heard by the 9 by 39 cartridge which is a 762 by 39 necked up to 9mm for the AK rifle. The answer is I've heard of it but I've not seen anything really on it. I haven't really looked. Uh, I think that was developed so that they could launch a larger bullet kind of subsonic because face it 762 by 39 isn't exactly screaming it's about 22-2300 feet per second so a larger bullet going at about half that, um, still going to be on the, the verge of being subsonic. So I'm sure they have a subsonic load for it. So again, it's kind of like 300 blackout. Probably the best use for it is in a suppressed application. So I don't know too much about it. does look like it would be cool uh, just to play with, but I think ammo is hard to find. and er, Like a lot of things, ammo is hard to find, and that's an awful expensive plinker so there you go all right here's here's a good one is bullet casting worth the cost and hassle uh yeah well i have to say that during the ammo shortage i did buy some bullet molds and of course i haven't gotten off my lazy backside to use them yet so you know, back at bullet casting, the the uh, economics of bullet casting were basically established on the fact you could get scrap lead for nothing, and I did that for a while. I got I got um, what do they call them uh, wheel weights when they had the old lead wheel weights? Used to be able to get those for nothing, and uh, what I really liked about it was you you'd get them for nothing, and you could just cast them, and the little clip you would just get rid of it you would flux the uh, metal and you could turn out really good pistol bullets like that i mean that was the model for decades from like the 1950s through the end of the 90s you could you could do that what happened was wheel weights are now some other metal i think there's zinc or something so there isn't so the abundance of free lead is now gone but you can still buy lead but again when you buy lead then you have to buy the processing equipment and the uh, even the lee furnaces have gone way up that used to be like a 35 dollar item and uh, that was a really good buy a lee a lee furnace is a really good buy but um, now they're a lot more expensive and the molds lee molds are still a great buy you can still if you can find them in this uh, current time frame they're they're pretty much hard to find, but you could find them, and it was uh, definitely something that you could do. So, you know, I I basically I basically um, you know have gotten into a few of those, and that's really all I use are are Lee molds because they're just so cost effective. I mean, a hundred dollar mold is great if you're just going to shoot that bullet but I shoot a variety of different things and I like different weights and bullets and the Lee molds work they're not going to last as long but they they actually work pretty well pretty well so and then then there's that whole thing of sizing and lubing okay and a lubricizer is an expensive item now and the little dies go in the bottom line is what I'm describing to you between melting casting sizing and lubing or sizing and now that everybody likes to do powder coating and lubing then you get to reloading you have already put an incredible amount of labor into this and it's not cheap anymore Um, it's just not cheap anymore so a cost of gas checks is high too if you like gas checked bullets you know the little copper cup that fits on the bottom so you can drive them at higher velocity so I would say that um, it's still doable it's still probably worth doing if you have the time and the space and facility to do that it's well worth doing other than that it's um, it's not worth doing in fact uh, the last couple times I've been loading um, you know, it's a lot easier to get on the Missouri... What is it? Missouri Bullet Company website. And it's another problem you point and click your way out of. Um, for 100 bucks, you get 1,000 rounds of forty-five. And um, for about the same, you can get 1,000 rounds of um, their powder-coated 9mm. Which turn out very cool-looking ammunition. Because you have this black bullet... Um, it doesn't look like a lead bullet it looks it's black and the guys who do their own powder coating they, they can do pink and red and you know green all kinds of different colors but the black ones look really good I mean if you look at that it, it, it doesn't scream you know hey this is your hand load you know it kind of it looks like something that might be that might be uh, um, freshly manufactured as opposed to something that you've hand loaded so anyway that's the um that's the deal with that it's it's worth doing but you know frankly uh you gotta have a lot of time so that's something to do when you when you have days and evenings free and you know set up a whole process but you can save yourself all that if you just point and click so there you go alright will magnums and super magnums make a comeback okay um, magnums basically being 357 41 44 um, we can throw in a 44 auto mag and 357 auto mag and whatever anything less than a 44 magnum is a magnum cartridge uh, super magnums are anything above that you know 50 a and e f- of course 500 smith and wesson um, 460 smith and wesson 454 Casol, all these, all these wonderful cartridges. Will these things make a comeback and be as popular as they were in the 1970s, 80s? Um, I don't know. Um, what gave birth to that was a couple different things, and one was you had a lot of pistol shooters who were good shots because they practiced a lot with 22 and 38 special, so you know, they were able to transition into these more powerful Magnums um, pretty easily. Whether or not you have that today, I'm not sure. If somebody goes out, it's never been a good idea to go buy a 44 Magnum as your first handgun. So, obviously, it's going to be a percentage of people who are already pistol shooters who want to go to that next level, and they have to have a reason to go to that next level part of the reason is just cool cool factor you know cool factor 454 Casale is cool you know it's a great gun so is 500 Smith & Wesson all the rest but do you want to put up with that kind of punishment and I would say that the answer is probably very few people want to do that unless they have a really good reason and that reason is usually handgun hunting used to be metallic silhouette but that's kind of that's kinda gone by the boards so unless you're a handgun hunter I don't think that that's really gonna come back as an and as I'm thinking my way through this even in the evil fantasy world of somehow detachable magazine guns are highly restricted or unobtainable and revolvers then become the the best option you know, where is that evolution going to go? Is it going to go in, um, in the direction of more powerful revolver cartridges? And I, I don't think so. I think that that evolution would probably go to, again, improved ammunition for the calibers that already exist. And you might see a larger caliber come out. Something on the order 50 GI might have a a big rebirth as or birth as a revolver cartridge. But you will see that that it would they'll keep the muzzle blast and recoil at manageable levels. So it won't be like shooting a 50 A and E or something else. So that's what I would see. Of course, everybody else sees something a little differently, so I don't know. Uh, a related question do you ever think they will put a limit on the number of cartridges that a revolver can have i.e. would seven and eight uh, shot revolvers become restricted well i'm not sure i would i would look at that that's a quick answer the answer is they want to make all guns illegal so of course they would make that illegal i don't know that they would say that there's a qualitative difference between six and eight. I don't think there are many seven and eight shot revolvers out there. I know Taurus has made a few, Smith and Wesson has made a few. So, um, I don't think that's being seen as a big problem right now. It'll only be seen as a big problem when, uh, um, you know, people start defending themselves with them. And all of a sudden the, uh, the Antifa, BLM and other, other street vermin, um, are scared of that particular thing then it'll then then they'll want to restrict it to keep it keep it out of your hands okay here is another question what is your least favorite revolver cartridge and since i really like revolvers i have to i have to look around um let's see i think there are a couple of contenders here I'd have to say my least favorite cartridge is probably 357 Magnum and the reason is is because it's it's a very good cartridge I don't really care for the um, muzzle blast or the recoil but other than that it's it's a good cartridge but I just don't particularly care for it. Um, one of the reasons is it doesn't shoot lead bullets very well unless you like cleaning lead out of your barrel um, 357s shoot 38s pretty well, but not as well as you think. Not as well as you think. If you're going to shoot 38s, it's much better to get a 38 revolver. Um, I, I did a, I did a test years ago, not an official type test, but just testing two guns, uh, a K38 and a Colt Python, and I fully expected the Colt Python would be the more accurate gun. With 38 special wad cutter ammunition, I don't know why I thought that. Because actually, the logic would be that the K38 would be, and it was. It was. It was more accurate. When, however, when I switched and I fired, you know, JHP magnum rounds out of the Python, it was very accurate, very, very accurate. And I was sitting there going, obviously, I misinterpreted. The, the good reputation the Python had was based on that and when it came to power and accuracy that was that was there the K38 had accuracy and it's a great gun it's absolutely a fine gun uh, but the Python you know that you have to shoot the right sometimes it's the right ammo in the right gun and obviously it was designed for that it was optimized for it and it shot it very very well but I don't really like shooting magnums that much especially paper punching so uh it's it's probably one of my least favorites uh 38 smith and wesson is another least favorite simply because it's not interchangeable i mean i wish they had uh i wish that the british had adopted 38 long Colt or even 38 short Colt instead because um all those 38 smith and wesson revolvers that we made that we made for them and gave them under lindley's um would be a lot more useful today <laughs> it's you know the problem with it is it's i've never really experimented with it um and that's the problem i, I have a funny feeling it would shoot a lot better I, just the the factory loads you get these days are just you know abysmal if you if you can even get them i bet they haven't made them in a couple of years now especially with the ammo shortage but i do think that the um i would i would definitely say that the um 38 smith and wesson if you put if you put a target kind of a, especially a hollow base wad cutter a few things might be able to get some some decent uh accuracy out of it but you'd really have to play with it to do that and that's actually just more effort than I'm willing to put into the gun r- right now so um, and I don't know that the 38 webley ever produced any good accuracy anything that we would we would uh <laughs> want to have on a target range but the uh, Smith and Wesson um, it was basically the Victory model though it was basically a model 10 um, an excellent gun in 38 special for the ones that the US forces had and an excellent gun for um, um, you know the british in that in that caliber i don't know that they ever i've never swaged the bores on any of them to see if they actually did a 360 or 361 bore for that my suspicion is they just took are 38 barrels and just, you know, that was it. Because I don't know that a thousandths of an inch or two thousandths of an inch was going to be that big of a deal when you're trying to, you know, they weren't producing target guns. They were producing guns to fight the Axis. So, um, and they needed as many and as quickly as possible. So I don't think that they adjusted that and, and did the bigger one. Be interesting though. If anybody has any information on a, uh, if if those barrels had been uh, if you've ever actually done a measurement of the bore by you know swaging the uh, uh, the little lead plug through and then measuring it be interesting to see what uh, how that and a um, a regular thirty eight victory model thirty eight special victory model compare uh, so anyway that's uh, that's about it so for old school guns this is our 105th episode and uh, as always you can always send us the questions kbmakel at aol.com or leave them on podbean and i will get around to answering them but until then this is old school guns out